0: Some good rock and roll coming up for you
1: now the guys from kiss have arrived they snuck in the back door oh. you spend your whole life doing the first few albums and then suddenly
0: everybody needs your attention erica m's Thanks much, music. the invention of the vj a flashback on the career that made them who they are today On this episode,
2: welcome to the much environment where like anything can happen. and usually
1: does. What was that time like for you working in the music industry that was collapsing around you? And I I just didn't want to hear any of it. Like, I'm like, leave me alone. I want to be in the fetal position for a week, please.
0: This is Erica M's Reinvention Reinvention of the the VJ. Now here's Erica M.
1: Hi there. I'm Erica M. And thank you so much for tuning into this episode of my Reinvention of the VJ podcast. My guest today, well, she's a force of nature who is powered by purpose. She's considered a leader in tech, in media and politics. She's a savvy communicator who's doing her part to change the world. Her time at MuchMusic was actually relatively short. It was just one of the many stops on her journey towards politics, policy, and now publishing. On today's podcast, get ready to be inspired and challenged by this woman on a mission, Jennifer Holland. But before we jump into our interview, if this is your first time tuning into my podcast, just let me give you a bit of a background. Reinvention of the VJ podcast is my up-close and personal conversations with some of the eclectic and talented personalities you may have grown up with on Much Music, some I worked really closely with. Others, like Jen, were after my time. While our personalities and approaches were usually quite different, there's one thing that we all have in common. Each of us played a small part in Canada's most influential pop culture platform, Much Music. And then we left at different times and for different reasons. Each of us set off on our next adventures. And it's that story of what happens after Much, the reinvention, the resilience, the luck, the innovation and perspective. That's what really intrigues me. So my chat with Jennifer may be a trip down memory lane for you, but I'm also hoping that through our conversation you find some interesting tidbits or insights into what it takes for you to get what you want in life. Uh, Maybe how you can reinvent or deal with tough times that are happening in your life, or maybe it will help you redefine what success is for you. Listen, a lot of us are going through challenging times and a lot of us are being forced to reevaluate our priorities and our choices in life. And maybe this conversation can inspire you in some small way to look at life with new perspective. Which brings me to the powerhouse that is Jen Hollett. Hey Jen, welcome to the show and thank you so much for taking time to uh, be with me. I know your schedule is just nuts these days.
2: Well I'm happy to be here and Erica I've mentioned this to you before but I grew up watching you so this is very meta and I know when I've said to you before like this is surreal you're always like oh stop it so it's it's interesting because I've had people come up to me say I grew up watching you and I'm like oh cool it's it's always kind of like this awkward awkward thing so I've always enjoyed the opportunities we've had together and it's such a unique experience being a VJ. So I'm just looking forward to chatting about it and really making sense of it because like once a VJ, always a VJ, that's what, what, what my experience has been. Like I'm still that VJ, even though I've done so many other things, I will always be known for being a VJ.
1: I described you as a woman on a mission. Is that accurate, Jen?
2: I like that. Like, To me, to me I take that as, as, as a compliment because there's a, a sense of purpose in that description there there's urgency and it's why i got into the media so when i was younger in high school and and this is pre-social media pre-email accounts i had a zine so an independent magazine that it was basically me on my my typewriter copy and paste you know friends who could draw friends could write articles and i put together this zine and traded it with zinesters and pen pals all around the world because i i believe that stories matter and and that if you could shine the spotlight, you know, on, on something that you think people only knew a bit more about, that that had the power to change the world. So that's really what attracted me, especially to, to television. Uh, and it's why I love music, right? It was music. Uh, I started with pop music uh, and then got into punk, got into hip hop, got into indie rock. And that's how I started learning about politics and the idea of what a better world could look like.
1: You know, you mentioned that it that you really um, found a sense of purpose by communicating with people etc and there is a strong connection between purpose and happiness is that what sort of keeps because you when you when i speak to you you always sort of glow and do you think that there is a connection between your happiness and the fact that you do have a purpose in life
2: i think so i mean the research definitely suggests that Mm -hmm. and i know I am happiness when I'm doing things, when I'm trying things, when I have an idea and, and, and I go for it. So I've, I've always been that, like when I was a kid, you know, uh, a, a, a greatest hit story in my family that's been told quite a few times is I was, um, I was a Girl Scout and you know, the other Girl Scouts are getting their badges, like, you know, one, one, one. Oh, this group gets two, this group get, And it's like, I had nine or something. I mean, I just, because it was like, what, I can get badges by? <laughs> dancing and sewing and, and and going out into the forest this this sounds great so for me as long as i'm doing as long as i'm trying that does make me happy and i i think it can be hard right because there are there are times and even after much music there there was definitely a time of like what am i who am i where am i going next uh and and the flip can happen where you just feel like oh like that, that's not a good feeling but but it's all part of the process on 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 trying right and getting getting closer to really, I, I I think it is about the journey.
1: I totally agree with that. And it's interesting how, when I speak to you, you remind me a lot of Strombo, of George Strombolopoulos, who was also on air around the same time as you. Yeah, uh, And he looks like a bad guy, you know, or a tough guy, but you, we both know that he is sort of a, a, a brilliant and thoughtful and very positive and. When we had our conversation, because, you know, I'm speaking to all the other on-air VJs as well, I asked him about his mom, because uh, he was raised by a single mom. Boy, he just exploded with love about his mom, and he said that, really, he is the man he is today because of his single mom and the way she raised him, and then I find out that, hello... Jen Hollett was also raised by a single mom. And I thought, is there a similarity there? Is, Are you that generous, purposeful young person uh, because of the way your mom raised you?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So I think there's a few things there. Uh, one, I was raised in the Catholic church and while I'm not practicing, I was definitely raised to you know care about your neighbor and uh, to really like give back to the community and, and, and the world. But I think specifically to the single mom part, when you're raised by a single mom or a single par- parent for that matter, at a young age you have extra responsibility and you discover your agency, right? So it, you you kind of have permission earlier to like try things, to do things, to own things, uh, and then also too, like for our our moms who who left bad marriages, you know, you see what it looks like at a young young age to to stand up for something, right? And and to make that difficult decision, especially for George and I, we grew up in a generation there weren't as many single moms. Like I think now we have all types of modern families, but there were a lot of women in the earlier generations. You know, our 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 mothers, our grandmothers, our great grandmothers' generations who stayed in marriages because they didn't have the option uh, to leave, especially mm-hmm. economically. So yeah, there is something really strong and powerful uh, to be a single mom, and and the kids really, despite the challenges, the kids really benefit from that role modeling.
1: You know, my, my mom wasn't a single mom. I mean, she eventually split with my dad, but I was older and well-formed. However, my mom had a huge impact on my life. And as you're talking, I was thinking one of the things that she taught me was to never be afraid to ask for what you want in life. And I feel like that somehow is part of you in some degree. I feel like you are fearless. Again, I'm projecting, <laughs> yeah. but how true is that for you?
2: Yeah, I, I, you're very observant, and you know, for for me, both my parents always encouraged me. You know, they, they any idea I had, they were like, "Yeah, go for it!" Right? Uh, I always felt that I could just go out into the world and 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 try something and and do something, and I had the support of both of them. And it was only until I la- I, I like later met more people, realized that like. A l- a lot of people kids and then adults don't have that from their parents their parents are really trying to say like success looks like this or you should do this or, or or you should do those pressures i mean i'll give you an example i am 45 years old i'm a single woman no kids i have zero pressure for my dad or mom to get married to have kids like this is me this is my life i'm enjoying it i'm happy I would say most women uh, who are 45, you know, single without kids, they are still feeling that pressure from from family, and if not their parents, everyone else, you know, around them asking questions. So I really benefited from just having that unconditional love and, and support. Um, so then uh, I'm not really operating from fear because it's also okay if I try something and, and it doesn't work out, right? And it allows me to dream really big, um, but also if I fail really big, that, that's all part of it. So I'm, I'm really fortunate and, and thankful to have that support. Well
1: um, oh, come on, but that's easy to say, to dream really big and fail really big and you're okay with it. When you're in that moment when there are those big failures, r- are you okay with it?
2: Well, yes and no. Like, so it's funny. I was I was talking to a friend about this, and, and she was like, "Oh, come on, Jen. Like, when have you failed?" I'm like, "Well, I ran for office, and like people got to you know make a check mark next to my name, and I didn't get enough, F- <laughs> you know, votes. Like that that's an official failure." And and she said to me like, "Oh my God, I don't see that as a failure at all." And I said, thanks, but like, it is a by the book failure. I mean, When you go out and you say vote for me and not enough people vote for you, like that, that is a failure you have lost, right? And your party has, has lost. So it kind of comes back to like how we even like look at winning and losing because it is in the eye of the beholder. And I know for me, when, you know, I look at Stacey Abrams or Hillary Clinton or people I voted for here in Canada, who have maybe lost, I don't see them as losers at all. And I think that extends to all types of, of, of failure, right? Where, um, you know, th- think of all the people who have a business idea and, and, and launch it and, and ultimately it only lasts for a year or, or maybe five years or declare bankruptcy. Like for me, I'm like, that's not a failure. Like you tried something, it didn't work, but like you went after it and you've learned a lot. And I think you're a better, stronger person. But of course, like the day after the 2015 election, like I remember, I, I went into a Tim Hortons, just getting Timbits, you know, it, and it, it's classic because the same thing would happen when I was at much, like I did not want to be seen. And of course someone comes up and is like, hi, are you Jennifer Holland? And thanks for, and it's just like, oh my, like, I don't, I'm not in the mood for anything. Hey, wait,
1: wait, you said they were going to say thanks for something. What yeah, did, like,
2: what like, we- yeah. Thanks for running. Like they had like a very positive thing. Like like, thanks for running. Like, I'm so glad. You know, and I, I just didn't want to hear any of it. Like, I'm like, leave me alone. I want to be in the fetal position for a week, please. You know? So, so yeah, that is the truth of it, is even when someone says thanks, um, it doesn't feel, there's still that horrible part, the opposite of my positivity. I, of course, have those moments.
1: So uh, if we want to dive into that era, you lost when you ran against Christia Freeland. Now, come on. She's now the, you know, almost the prime minister. (laughs) She's incredibly powerful in our government today. So knowing that she has gone so high up in, in the government, does it change your perspective of that time when you ran for office against such a powerful woman? Yeah, no, because I see myself that way. Right. So for me, it was really exciting
2: to be running against Christian and and the other candidates. And actually during the election, which was quite a long election by Canadian standards. Right. So Stephen Harper and the Conservatives had designed it. So it was three and a half months because they thought that would work to their advantage. It actually didn't in the end. And in all the polls for University Rosedale, where I ran, I was actually positioned to win. Right. So there was a long point of that election, if you recall, that the NDP was going to form government but ultimately the liberals had a wave right and and they won and uh, you know they ran they ran the strongest campaign so uh like for me i'm very happy for for christia and it, it it has been exciting to watch her success and all of her different portfolios she has great influence um but it could have been me right <laughs> it could have been me so that's the part of politics that 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 y- y- you have to kind of like at the end of the soccer game like good game good game good game and 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 really just say like you know, well done and, you know, but it could have been, it could have been me. So uh, there were a lot of people who said at the doors like, oh, it's such a shame that I have to choose between, you know, two strong, bold, successful, progressive women. I'm like, no, this is great. This is how we want it. Like we want so many women running <laughs> to the different parties that you have to choose. Like, like to me, that was, that was not a bad thing. Like that, that's actually progress.
1: When I hear you talk, you speak from uh, like as a woman who has had so much experience in life, so much um, where you've been in really interesting positions. And I want to go back now, before much music. You were working at Sony Music, That's right, and yeah. I believe that you were hired to do some digital strategy for them and sort of bring them into the future. That was a time, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but that was a time when the music industry. Was, in, uh, was still in denial that their business model was impeccable, that streaming and Pandora would not bring the industry down. So how, I'm guessing that you were probably somewhat radical in your um, suggestions for them to evolve. What was that time like for you working in the music industry that was collapsing around you?
2: Yeah, I mean, what a gift, right? What a gift in so many ways, so I did my, Bachelor of Arts at Concordia University and I did a specialization in journalism and communications.
1: Same nice. as me. Same oh, as me. Yeah, amazing,
0: amazing.
2: By the way, when I volunteered at Cable 10 back in the day in high school, someone was like, I think Erica M has some Cable 10 experience. Someone
1: I did. did yeah, I so, did. I hosted a show. That's so crazy. We'll, yeah, we'll cool. find all these similarities <laughs> as we as we go along, for sure. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. go back to your story I'll, about Sony. I'll
2: say, I think sometimes people think BJ's come out of nowhere where we actually have, have, have been doing the work for, for, you know, for for a while, maybe not at the same level. But uh, so when I was at university, and and this was the mid 90s, that's where I got an email address. And this was a time where the email, like, it was very basic, uh, really just like academics and computer nerds. Uh, By the time I graduated university, Netscape was introducing graphics to the internet right so uh, I was offered this job at, at Sony Music in what they called their new media team it had been called consumer technology before that and it was because I was working with Sony as a college marketing rep and they were growing their team so here I come in 1997 working on artist websites you know doing content and then later uh, marketing for Celine Dion. Uh, Glenn Gould Leonard Cohen our lady peace like what what a dream job right but even though I was in the music industry at a time when like you said Pandora uh, streaming real remember real player like you could watch like whoa a concert it would be all pixelated but you could watch like (laughs) part of a concert you know on, on online then Napster pops up so despite like all of this Still, people didn't understand what we were doing. It's like, what? When you say
1: people, you mean industry executives or? I would
2: say everyone. So definitely within the industry, what we were doing was very new and often the traditional industry and that would be all the different teams, like sales, marketing, even the artists themselves, management, didn't quite get what we were doing. Um, So that was kind of a lot of fun because we had trust, right? Like we could could kind of just do it. Uh, Some of the newer artists got it because they saw like, Oh, this is working, right like like this this is this is where our fans are coming from, but even I would say outside like i I think when people heard I worked in the music industry, they thought I was an a and r and consign artists like I, I don't think people realize like, oh, it's digital and that's growing so having a front row seat and seeing an industry that at the time had money, i mean money bags, you know you were you were there, you were in the industry like it was it was a time of like great celebration. All the stereotypes were, were true. Like th- th- that stereotype of the rock star or the rap star, that was all true. And then it changed, right? Because the business model changed. What was unique about being at Sony is when you think about it, Sony had the Walkman. Sony had the Discman. So Sony should have had the MP3 player, but not only was there Sony Electronics, but there was Sony Music in the same company, right? So, this is where the missed opportunity for for Sony is instead of our our iPods and then later our iPhones, it it could have been within Sony, but there was just so much tension and and the labels weren't on the the same page together.
1: And so you left, and where is that connection between Much Music? Was there a connection between your job at Sony and landing at Much? So what had happened was I was having a a great
2: time and doing very well at Sony Music, uh, and I had met a TV producer uh, who had been introduced to me because we were doing a website for MC Mario, who's like a really big DJ, especially with uh, presence and profile in, in Montreal. And I guess he took my card and put it in a folder of like, who knows, maybe one day like someone we can work with. And so someone reached out to me who said like, oh, Mark Mark passed on, on, on your name. We're auditioning for a new TV show. Uh, it's CTV's new digital channel, Talk TV, it's called The Chat Room. And I was like, what? what? Because I have been auditioning, like that's what I went to school for. And you do a lot of auditions before you get a gig. So I thought, okay, like I'm really happy where I am, but let's audition.
1: So I'm going to interrupt for a second. You yeah. know what? Not everybody has to audition. There's the Amanda Walsh story. Oh, who, it's true. Yeah, they she, found her she, at, right? at a you know at a little uh, restaurant in the city that I grew up in, and they said, come and be on Much Music, which you know rarely happens. It's it, more yeah, like yeah, your it, story. It,
2: fair enough. It's true. You always hear the story <laughs> of the model or the VJ who someone sees them in the mall, yeah. um, and, and we like those stories, right? Because it, it feels like you got to anyone. Um, whereas, yeah, I went the traditional route, I, I audition, and, uh, you know, I worked at uh, the chat room as, as a host, and it really just felt like this dream come, come true. And at, at the time, I was working with Seamus O'Regan, right, who would go on to Canada AM, and, you know, now politics, working with Ben Mulroney. So it, it's also interesting <laughs> to see the early days of, of, of these careers. So then when I was at CTV, I had, and this is, this is talk about just like living life and, and how things align. A producer I had met at CTV, I bumped into him on Made of the Mist in Niagara Falls. Made of the Mist.
1: That's random.
2: I had a friend in from Germany. We're like, you got to go to Made of the Mist, and he's like, Yo, like I'm over at Much Music now. We like, like we should catch up. So, uh, you know, we grab lunch, and he's like, We're auditioning BJs. You should apply. And I thought, hmm, like, I have a job. I'm happy. I'm not looking. And then I thought, Who am I to turn down a job I don't have? Like, I should audition. Like, why not? I love Much Music. I, I was still watching much music. It wasn't even, I grew up, it was like, I was always watching much music. And then auditioning and, and going through three rounds, um, I realized, oh, I really want this, this job. And uh, I was hired as a and videographer alongside Hannah Sung. We got hired at the same time, and then would go on to become very good friends. Uh, she's one of my closest friends. So, so it, it's like, again, you meet people along the way, right? Who say, let's, let's talk. Um, so those connections were really key in, in my career.
1: So I describe your time at Much Music as sort of like Much Mm. 2.0. In a way, almost a completely different Much Music from when I was there. Uh, You were there like a decade after I was, pretty much. Right. So you had the, I don't know, the the experience of watching, well, you mentioned me and the other people on Much Music, and so you kind of got a, a sense of what Much is all about, and when... When you were going to walk into sort of my shoes, so to speak, what did you feel you could bring that was different, that much didn't have yet?
2: This is a a really funny question because it's something I thought a lot about. When I was working at Sony Music, one of the best parts of the job is much music was on all the time. So not only did I get to work in the music industry, in new media at a time when it was exploding, like... Like artists were always walking around there were concerts and the much music screen was right about above my desk so i watched much music a lot like not just after school you know i watched it a lot and one of the things i thought i could bring with my background in new media was it wasn't called social media at the time but i thought i could like just really connect with people i thought i'm going to be the vj who's going to be in the message boards i'm going to be the vj with my own website and my own message board and i'm going to i'm going to connect and i'm going to make myself available mm-hmm. and accessible to the viewers and uh, did that on Much On Demand. I was always in chat and I wanted to make sure that like I was in chat, like not a producer was in chat, right? Like not someone pretending to me, but like me, it's because that's the part I always loved about Much is because uh, it's really changed right now, right? Like you go by Queen and John and- Wait, there is no Much Music, in. is
1: there? Is well, there even, they boarded up the, the oh, windows. It's
2: black, right? There's like, like black curtain. You can't even look in, but- in the heyday, you could look in, you could see a VJ going across the street, right? You, you could be part of a live show. You could stumble by and be like, I'm in the Much Music Video Awards somehow. <laughs> like, I didn't even realize what's happening and now I'm, I'm, I'm gonna go be in it, right? Like there's just always a way to, to touch it. So I was really hoping to be able to do that online, right? Is take that idea of the environment and extend it. Ah, so I did do that, but there were a lot of challenges. I was not ready for the hate. That's the part I was I was not ready for was all the
1: hate and abuse. There was hate back then.
2: Yeah, and like this is the part. So again. To, you know, just to give everyone the context, I was a VJ between 2002 and 2005, right? So there's no Twitter, there's no Facebook. We didn't even have MySpace yet, right? It was just message boards and emails. And I would go into the message boards I had, and the message boards were very active. It was a type of social media back then. And I would go in and, and you know, say hi and answer questions and see what we And across. And people would comment on my looks all the time. Uh, I had lots of different funky haircuts and there were people who were just, obsessed with what they said how ugly I was and they would always like always always comment on this and it's like okay why am I spending my time right like why am I spending my time in these spaces when people are just spewing hate and extended actually beyond the computer screen I remember one day I had left the building and I heard someone mumble something and I was in a really feisty mood and I said say it to my face and he said to my face you're fucking ugly and that surprised me right I was like Oh, wow. You said it to my face. And this happened a lot. Like it happened once I was walking with Devin Soltendee, same thing. Someone came up and said that to me again. And he was so kind. He turned to me and was like, first of all, it's not true. <laughs> you know, he's like, first of all, it's not true. And like, are you okay? Another time I was walking with Devin and Kensington to market. People were throwing beer bottle caps at us. Like they were up on a, they were throwing. And I said, I just turned to him. I said, run. So there was like a lot of, and what I found is for the women it's the beauty myth, right? So it's like, how can I hurt her? And it would be like, you're ugly. Whereas the men, they were always told they were gay. It was a very homophobic time, right? And that seemed to be the big insult of, of, of the moment, which is like, first of all, if they are, who cares? But it was this, like, like, so that, that was the part I wasn't, I wasn't ready for. I, I didn't realize like how much hate there, there is. And, and maybe it's baked in jealousy, like maybe it's, it's baked in, in self-hate, but it was hard to receive.
1: I received a fair amount. I was told I was ugly all the time. My nose was too big. I considered getting a nose job. And then I realized, wait a second, I was hired because I look like this and screw them. This is how I look. And I have the job and you're all suckers and see you later. So I just, it really taught me or forced me to to dig down deep and grow backbone and stand up to to bullies. But I didn't get it to that degree. And that's interesting, that's a 10 year gap, if you will. I also think it's interesting because when people would talk about or ask me questions about my time at MuchMusic, I often said that I felt like it was the precursor to social media. And what I mean about that was Moses had this vision of sort of democratizing the media. First of all, each of the on-air people were told that we're no more important than our audience. And I I don't know if that was still consistent with the messaging that you got, but we were- I mean, our
2: desks, like think about it. There were no offices, like our desks are like, oh, someone's sitting on my desk doing an interview. Oh, there's the audience coming in, working around me while I'm trying to research, right? Like we were one.
1: And the audience was brought into shows. People were invited to walk through all the time. We would take requests all the time. There was speaker's corner which became part of the programming so for me um, I really felt like looking back with perspective that much music uh, believed in the importance of community and of not being autocratic but being sort of um, having engagement and using the technologies at the time which were like fax machines and answering machines and you know it was a different way of doing it so I think it's interesting though but we did not experience hate like that in my time. And so what was going on, do you think, in the culture that would create that kind of, um, I don't even know what the word is, that, that belief that you can say those hateful things to someone's face, because when I was younger, no one ever did that to me. I could hear little whispers behind me, but they would never say it to well, my face. Well, that's what
2: surprised me when I was like, say to my, because I thought, Like he might just go, oh, hi, but then when- Hi, I'm Canadian, right? Like, you know, because Canadians
1: were not hateful, hateful, I didn't think.
2: Yeah, it's funny. It even happened to me once because, so this is the part I think a lot of people don't understand is because of that democracy, right? In, in, much music in Chum. Like I took the TTC, that's how I got to work, right? It's like, like I'm out and about. I'm just, I'm a regular person who's being asked to sign autographs, right? So it, 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 it's like, and sometimes- you know, during the heyday of much, sometimes the VJ is the bigger celeb than the artist. Like, sometimes, oh, I've never, never even heard of this this artist, right? It's it's the VJ that, that people were watching for. I remember taking the TTC, uh, and there were two people in front of me, two young guys, and they were talking about much music deliberately, knowing I was there. And I was like, hmm, like, at what? So at one point, I was like, hi, I'm here. I can hear you. Like, <laughs> oh, my God. So it, it's, it's this weird... Uh, I think there's a few things. So with the VJ search, which again is part of this democratization of like anyone can be a VJ and I do think um, that much, not so much now or, or, or even after my time, but sure we were cool, but like we're only a little bit more cool than the audience, right? Like like I didn't have a, a, a stylist. Yes, we had a makeup artist, which was great, but I, I felt like I bought my clothes at Value Village and... Like, yeah, I had definitely got lots of free swag, you know, and stuff, but like it 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 was still us, like it was still us kind of like putting together and and kind of doing our doing our own thing. And that was the appeal. So because of the VJ search, and I often as a videographer would go to the malls and you know be on stage hyping up the auditions for the VJ search, and I'd write a story. So everyone felt they could be a VJ, right? Like that, and that's what we were selling. Everyone could be a VJ. So I think people felt like, I could do your job and better than you, so I'm gonna put you down. I, I, do, think, I do think that that's part of it. I even had one woman say to me, you got my job. <laughs> and I said, I said, what, sorry? She's like, we, we got my job. And it's like, no, I got the job. Like it's, it's not my job. It's done. But So the good news is everyone felt they were much music, but maybe on the flip side, is when you felt like that job should be yours or your friends then what you're going to do is cut the people up who have the job like perhaps and then there's also just misogyny right the hatred for for, for women and uh, i i think i think it's a mix all to say though this existed pre-twitter right this existed pre pre-facebook for those of us who dared to go into the spaces right. and uh it's uh I think what was frustrating for me is I'm like, there are lots of people on this message board or in the streets who are not talking to me like this. So I also have to keep being me and being accessible because the majority, right? The majority of it actually was positive, but boy, when the harassment was there, it w- it was vile.
1: So I see you as a lifelong learner. I see that you are constantly putting yourself in challenging roles so that you can learn new things. Um, What did you learn at much that you couldn't have learned in any school? Mm.
2: A lot, like a lot. I learned a lot at much. I think like one of the like unique, really incredible things about doing so much live TV, and I also did a lot of live TV at Talk TV where we were four and a half hours live a night. Most TV is not live. Most TV is is pre-taped and packaged and it looks so good because a lot of work goes into it. Live TV is the opposite, right? It's very much in the moment. So you get comfortable with just the unexpected, right? And I remember uh, there were always tours going on, right? Always classrooms coming through, always people coming through the building. And one thing people would often say on the tour that that we would parrot and say as well is, welcome to the much environment where like anything can happen and usually does. Uh, And that was true. So to work in an environment where Anything can happen and usually does. You get used to it, right? So you're very comfortable with things going wrong and, and being able to adapt. Uh, you you get comfortable. I remember, you know, especially with much on demand, we'd be a half an hour away from, from like going live at five o'clock and it would be like, just confirm we got the rights to this artist and you're gonna be interviewing like, insert A-lister of the moment. And you're like, what? It's like, yeah, we were good. It's like, what? Like in a half an hour, I'm interviewing who? Like. Sean Paul. Okay. Like, sure. But like, it's, it's not that like you have one week, you, so you just had to, you had to be ready to, you had to be ready to dance. So just learning like, okay, let's dance. Like, let, let's get into it. I'm curious though, Erica, for you, like what, what, what was your takeaway from like what, what the school of much music taught you?
1: Well, it taught me to be sort of a jack of all trades because we didn't really have producers, at least in my day. So there, we didn't have scripts. So I learned how to not write a script, but I would, I learned how to tell a story on the fly. I learned how to do research. I learned how to interview. I learned how to get dressed, you know, present myself yeah. publicly. I learned to edit myself so that I would not uh, ever insult people live, you know, because sometimes when you're speaking live for hours and you're really relaxed and casual being on TV, you have to be careful because as part of the comedy or the humor, some of us put people down. Yeah. So I, I learned uh, to be very sort of aware of the effect of my words on other mm-hmm. people.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It also reminded me um, about the importance of being a role model. I mean, it, it was very evident from the, the unending number of, um, of emails and letters that I received from girls. Uh, some of them who were really jealous of me, as you mentioned, but ultimately they wanted to be me. So I needed, it was important to me to be a really good version of me. So hopefully people would aspire, girls would aspire to be strong, comfortable in their sensuality. I wouldn't say sexuality, but sensuality, Uh, comfortable being the smart girl in the room, which is to me, that to me is feminism, being the smart girl in the room, and yet comfortable with being attractive, etc. That was that was really important uh, to me. And thank you for that question, <laughs> yeah, it, Who's it, doing the interviews it, here? <laughs> well,
2: you know, you know how it works. It, it's, it, one of those things that when you're at Much Music, it's such a full-on job. So the hardest part of the job, because it is a dream gig, right? Like it. it it was the best of times, it was the worst of times, like it is everything. And what I mean by that is the hardest part of the job is that you're always a much music VJ, right? So it's a fun job, uh, you know, and it's challenging in all the best ways. And yet you get to go to concerts and, you know, hang out with celebrities, like all that, all that. And, and you get to do a job that's fun, right? Like that's cool, you know, that's interesting, that's in the moment, but then you're always working. Like you can't even just go to a concert and enjoy yeah, it. Yeah,
1: but that's part of the the reason I think, while at least while why I was hired and many other people were hired is because that was what we lived on a daily basis. So yeah. going to concerts and talking yeah. about music and interviewing bands was what we wanted to do. I would do it and not even have been paid to do it. And that's I think right. that's, that is most of us, although we did get paid, etc. Although I did get paid less than the men, by the way. Okay. Um, <laughs> then uh, I think that was certainly what brought a lot of us, uh, what was appealing to a lot of us about the job. Um, one thing that I wanted to ask you was about, I know Jack Layton was, or interviewing Jack Layton was a moment for you that uh, you were invited to interview him on Much Music, and it introduced to you the future of politics. And that's sort of an old story, Jennifer. Like if you know Jen, then you know that story about Jack Layton. But the story that I want to know is the other artists or musicians or personalities who came into much music that had a huge effect on uh, Jen today. Who else was um, really powerful or meaningful to you?
2: Yeah, I have to say it's such a pleasure being interviewed by you. Your questions are just so so thoughtful and well-researched. Uh, and and it, it's funny, it's just a, r- a reminder of like the art, right?
1: The 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 art of being a VJ. It's my favorite thing. The it, art it, of, yeah. not the art of being a VJ, but the art of interviewing. And I know that that has been a part of your life through, mm-hmm. you know, it, and it served us well in many different capacities, but thanks for that. And what's the answer? Yeah. Yeah. What's so, the answer, Jen? Um,
2: so uh, one of the ones that comes to mind is interviewing Pink. So when I interviewed Pink, it was my first Live at Much, and that's like a really big special because compared to the live TV you and I were just talking about, while Live at Much is live, it's bigger production, right? They bring in more money, there's performances, there's interview, it's, it's a bit tighter, right? And, and it has big reach, and the Live at Muches are, are done with the, the top artists. So Pink, always been a fan. Also, like, at the time, like, we have very similar vibes and images, which is like, Short, funky hair, um, definitely not traditional like feminine looks mm-hmm. uh, and pink's always kind of known to like speak her mind and just put herself out there and and that's definitely you know my approach and it it was just such a great interview. I think for both of us. And, and that's a bonus when that happens, right? Because you can do a great interview and the artist does not like it, <laughs> right? Like some of the best interviews, the artist is not happy. It's like, well, too bad, my job's not to make you happy. It's a great interview. But it was this, this interview where I think we just uh, connected uh, and were, we're able to be in conversation in a way that drew the audience closer to, to Pink and her music. And then I went to see her her show later. And it was funny because on stage she's like, did anyone see the interview on Much Music? And yeah, like it, it was it was definitely so, so that was a real highlight for me. Um, the other one was interviewing uh, the Beastie Boys. So for me growing up, they were one of my my favorites, like one of my my favorite hip-hop acts, and uh, they had a political awakening. When you think back to the early Beastie Boys, right, and then going on to the Tibetan Freedom Concerts and, and just becoming more socially aware and how that was re- reflected in, the, in their music, that always gave me a lot of, lot of hope. And uh, I got to interview them at their studio, and I just felt like, oh my God, I'm using the washroom that they use. Like, I just was <laughs> in total, like, ridiculous, Fan moment of like, when is security going to remove me? <laughs> like, when are they going to? And um, w- what's so cool is like, not only like did we do this like great thirty minute interview, and for folks who know the Beastie Boys, they're actually a very difficult interview because they're they're known to always joke and be sarcastic and play pranks. Like, you rarely can can catch them in a sincere moment. But I had met Ad-Rock at a show of one of his side projects, and given him. Uh, basically my card for my B-Girl crew, my breakdance crew shebang, and he had passed it on to his partner Kathleen Hanna of La Tigra. So we had a bit of a connection, and I was able to just off the top remind him like, hey, do you remember? So he was like off the top like, oh yeah, cool, and kind of like said to the guys like, oh yeah, like 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 she's really cool. So um, it was great, and you know, that interview, especially because you know, now the Beastie Boys are no longer like, you know, with, with, with Adam having passed. Uh, it, it, it's just like, I think a, a, an interview that stands the test of time uh, for them and their, their body of work. And then for me as a fan, I mean, we are fans of music at the end of the day, every VJ was hired because they do live it, right? Um, so to have those moments where you're just like, I'm gonna be cool and calm, but let me <laughs> just in the bathroom of a little scream. Okay, we're cool. Let's go to the interview. What did you say? You have a breakdance. You had a breakdance. Yes. So, yeah. What is- so yeah. So while at Much, uh, I uh, was a uh, founding member of Shebang, and uh, we had started in '99, but it was an an all-girl breakdance crew, and it like really exploded as I was heading in, in into Much. So like on top of like the full-time job of being a VJ. Uh, we were dancing with Nelly Purtado. Beastie Boys actually ended up inviting us to come on tour with them in Toronto and Ottawa. We were battling all over North America. So it, it was very, and actually in my interview, uh, like with, with the executives at the end is I said like, listen, if you're looking for someone who lives it, like this is, this is my life, this is, this, is, this is what I do. Like I, I love music and all the community and culture around it. So, but, but, but I think what was a, a time a bit tricky to navigate is b-girls and b-boys is actually a very like underground community and in, in subculture so i think at first people were kind of like you know like is she a sellout what's she trying to do mm-hmm. i ended up hosting some battles on much where we were able to like highlight and spotlight the talents of b-boys and b-girls uh, across the country and there were prizes so i think when people saw like no 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 I'll, like don't worry we're going to connect this um uh, th- that was a great thing to be able to do
1: I had no idea. That is so very cool. We were talking about the art of interviewing. Give me a few tips. How do you do a good interview? What makes a good interview?:
2: Listening. And it, it's the hardest part. I know it sounds so obvious, but if we're all being honest with ourselves, often we're pretending to listen and we're just thinking about the thing that we want to say. Also, when you do so much research, and to your point, Erica, the VJs did do, even when we had producers, still the majority of the, of the research. You want to take all your cards and answer, you know, you you get answers to all the questions you pre-wrote. But sometimes the best thing to do is throw them all out the window and just have faith that you've done the research and listen to what the artist is saying or the subject is saying and and go with them. So you have to be really well researched, but you have to listen and be willing to say, I'm listening and I'm hearing I shouldn't stick with my order. I need to, to be in the moment
1: yeah, you messed up this interview for me, that's for sure. I had a whole (laughs) bunch of questions and you just danced around and like messed it all up. But the reality is you left much. Why? So
2: I, I felt I had outgrown much. Like I felt it was like I had a good run. Also, a lot was changing, right? So I was at a time when I came in at much, it was still about the music. And by the end, around 2005, it was more about, Celebrity culture, uh, gossip, uh, reality shows. I love that stuff as well. Uh, but th- there was a lot of change happening within uh, pop culture and, and much. And after three and a half years, uh, I felt like, again, it was just kind of like I was ready to move on because um, there was a world for me to see. That's how I kind of felt. And that was really thanks to much. I mean, another key assignment for me was the first year I came on, I got to do a documentary in Afghanistan on youth and and women. Uh, This is like post September 11th. So that really kind of just opened my eyes to so many issues. Uh, And uh, that's what I ultimately left much to do, which is to go and and travel and and volunteer in, in East Africa and did that with CARE, which is a connection Because the documentary about Afghanistan was done in partnership with Care Canada. Oh, but that's
1: a different life. Holy smokes. You gave up the celebrity. You gave up the perks. You gave up the music. And you went and just went to work and became sort of, uh, and I'm going to use this term very, very loosely, but you became just another person behind the scenes, making the world potentially a better place.
2: Yeah, it, 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 that felt very freeing, I will say, like to be able to like actually go to a part of the world where no one knew I was a much music DJ. What's funny is I still bumped into Canadians. Like I would be in Kenya, you know, Kenya in, you know and, and, and I would still meet a Canadian and then they'd be like, are you? And that's where I was like, oh my God, I can like, I cannot escape this, uh, which, which is funny. I mean, I remember even we were covering the tsunami it was me and and uh, Gordon Martino and 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 Steve, one of the camera guys, and we were in Sri, Sri Lanka, and someone came up and went city TV everywhere. We were like, oh my, that's amazing! Like, wow! <laughs> uh, so, uh, but but it did it did feel like freeing. And and I have another memory: Hannah Sung and I, a couple of years after we had left Much Music, we were in New York City together, and we were in the washroom. And it's common in women's washrooms that women talk, right? Like while you're in the washroom. So we're both in our stalls. And I said, well, we can just talk out loud and no one cares what we're talking about. Like no one's listening because they've clocked who we are. Like, woo. (laughs) Like, wow, here we are just talking in the washroom.
1: Oh, I I thought you were going to say, and then somebody said, hey, is that Jen (laughs) Hollett?
2: We actually just had a moment where we could just like be ourselves.
1: So Jen, you then went back to school you and not just school you went to harvard so first of all that's really expensive so explain to me when you decided you were going to go how did you do it because there's a ton of preparation involved in doing something like that um tell me about that experience yeah
2: sure so as I became more and more interested in, in politics, in, in policy, and possibly running for office, I had been working as a freelancer. I uh, was at CBC. I thought, hmm, maybe going back to school would be a, a good way to to learn more and, and and to see if this is the direction I want to go with. Me. How old were you at the time when you well, decided? I would have been, yeah, I would have been mid thirties, and and I thought. If I'm going to do it, let's do it. Like like if I'm going to go and get a mat, like if I'm going to take a year out of my life as what's called a mid-career student, like let's do it. Let's go big. And I actually didn't want anyone to tell me that they didn't think I could get into Harvard, so only my mom and sister knew. Like I just was quietly, you know, studying and taking the GRE, working on my my application. And in terms of the cost because it's a huge cost, US schools are so much more expensive than Canadian schools. Uh, I'm a saver. And that was basically my mortgage. You know, I, I rented, I didn't have a car. Like that's where I wanted to spend my money and savings from, from my career was to put it into my education and in hopes that it would come back in like future career opportunities and pay, but also just like, this is my life. This is what I want to do. And what a great investment, like going back to school. Now what was very exciting about going to, to Harvard is aside from like, Obviously, it's Harvard, right? And (laughs) no.
1: Just saying, what was very exciting about going to Harvard, did you just say you went to Harvard? Well, so
2: (laughs) they call that the H-bomb, right? So uh, is that people from all over the world, right, with just such, like, incredible backstories and and accomplishments are also drawn to Harvard, but especially the Harvard Kennedy School. So when people would find out, because, again, there were Canadians there, right? So when we got out that I was... Like an MTV VJ, that's how word got out. People loved it. You know, I, I submitted uh, a paper that drew from my experience in my B-Girl crew and the prof like held it up and talked about it in front of the class, right? So, so you, even,
1: were you there? Like you actually were in person, you went to Harvard in yeah, person? Yeah, 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 wow.
2: yeah. So, so I found, cause at first I was a little shy about some of like my pop culture background. I didn't know mm-hmm. if it would be valued loved it. They got it, right? They saw it as a, a huge asset to the class.
1: So an interesting thing that um, you talk about Much Music defining you and pop culture being a little bit embarrassing as you, your career kind of evolved. Interesting, in 2013, so that's eight years after you left Much Music, after you had gone to Harvard, after you'd worked at CBC, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, The headline in the Globe and Mail was Former VJ Jennifer Hollett Seeks Federal NDP Nomination. I mean, tell me about the baggage that you have had to carry because of those three years on Much Music.
2: Yeah, it's so funny. In this COVID year, I formed a a neighborhood pod, basically in my condo of people who could help out anyone who needed groceries or like, you know, medication from the pharmacy. And I was mentioned in an article, it was like, even former Much Music VJ, Jennifer Hollett has done like a community pod. And, and like, I just laughed because it's like, I was 20 all, years ago. Funny. So, so it's both good and bad. So, so the good news is I loved much music, right? Like, so when it's all positive thoughts of like, like much music, you know, is, but especially was like such a big institution for youth culture, pop culture, arts, music, right? Like it it really defines the Canadian experience. Like, so yeah, like say it, like it is a big deal. Like, wow, that's so cool. But on the flip side, unfortunately, I have found that people in society at large don't value music and culture like you and I and people who watch much music do, right? So I remember people would say to me, like, like, oh, like, you know, you'd be at a party or something. Oh, what do you do? Like, and I would go so broad, like, oh, I work in the media. Oh, like, where in the media. Oh, I work in TV. Oh, we're in TV. <laughs> like, I I'm just, just want to be, you know, uh, oh, I work in much music. Yeah, I don't watch much music okay you know take a sip of my drink and i'd say yeah like you're you're a little out of our demographic anyways it's okay <laughs> but there, there, there's something about pop culture that that people just want to cut down where to me it's like i i can't imagine navigating covid without music to escape into right without art to give me a path out of this right uh without creativity right to make sense of like what on earth um but uh so, so it, it, I guess it depends when someone's saying for you or me, like, oh, it's the VJ. It could actually be a compliment in the way that they're saying it, or it could be in this way of like, oh, this. Is, so, it's, it's, so it's hard to say. And, and I think that's the tension all of us will navigate for the rest of our, our lives.
1: Uh, I have a listener question. This is from Dawn in Caledon, and she asks, which job is more welcoming to women and why? Politics or much music?
2: So I have a big smile because it, it's such a, a great question and contrast. And I, I would say, I, I think it's about the same actually because both jobs require you to be a public figure. And it's very hard to be a public figure in general, I think for everyone, but especially when you take that intersectionality of, of gender and in, in race, LGBTQ, uh, and, you know, other factors. So like the actual job of itself, right? While there was definitely sexism in the music industry and there's sexism in politics, I found the hardest part about the jobs was the the public part of it, right? And, and, and people, again, when you're a VJ, people are like, well, I could do your job. So let me tell you about this. You should play this video. You don't do enough this, this, that. I don't like this. Don't like your hair. Don't like your face. Whereas when you're politician and your job is to knock on doors and talk to people people are also going to go yeah i don't like this you should do this and like like and actually th- that is why you knock on doors is for people let me tell you something and like you're you dogs- to learn
1: for you to yeah. listen yeah
2: yeah mm-hmm. so uh i think b- very similar the difference is we do see more women still white women but more uh women and more diversity on air in television there's definitely been progress there's more more work there and less so in politics, politics, and politicians should represent their constituents, right? Like we should look to the house of commons. We should, you know, look to provincial governments, to local governments to say like, this is who we are and, and we're not there yet. So uh, big structural barriers remain in both industries. Uh, but, but I think more work I would say uh, right now in, in government and also because of its, of its role by its nature.
1: You are, um, unstoppable. And uh, after you lost, you failed when (laughs) you ran against uh, christian Freeland, you said, I'm going to do it again. And you ran for municipal city councillor. And you were doing, you know, you were doing great. We were all rooting for you. And then Doug Ford stepped in and said, you know, you know what? There's too many city councillors. I'm going to cut the number down. And you were SOL. Now, the most, uh, I think, devastating part of that for me was that you had given up a job at Twitter where you were head of governance and news. I mean, that was an incredible job. So tell me about that time for you, because I know it was not a good time.
2: It it was horrible. It was really horrible because it's not an easy decision to run for office for, for anyone, but especially when... You have a job that that you like, but there's this like unique opportunity to run. Politics is all about timing. And uh, the unique opportunity is Toronto is a growing city. So there were actually new wards. And this was after five years of consultation with the community, there were new wards to represent the population growth. Uh, And uh, I had asked Twitter if I could take a, a leave of absence, but it wasn't something they were able to grant me. So I just had to make this decision. Like I had to go all in or not. And I decided to go all in because I, I saw a path, there, there, was, there was a path there. Uh, never thinking that the Premier, that the provincial government in the middle of an election that was already underway, would interfere and, and slash cancel in half. Now, I am part of a legal challenge that it's on its way to the Supreme Court, so that that fight continues, and, and it's out of principle at, at this this point right now. But I think what was like so hard for me was I took this jump and then like I landed on cement, like it was like, oh God. And, you know, as someone who is seen as like bold and and strong, like, you know, everyone's just like, you'll be okay. And it's like, but I'm not okay. (laughs) Like, I'm really upset. Like this is an attack on our democracy and they're pushing through legislation in the middle of the night. I spent my birthday at Queens Park with people who are in pajamas sitting in the gallery to watch it because they were like, this will not, you know, go through overnight. They were pushing the legislation through overnight. So it's, um, I think it's also really hard and it's it's why following politics is is hard for me because this stuff really matters. Like it's, it's bigger than, it's bigger than me. And most people are so busy. They, they don't even see all these little, 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 little details. So I, I I'm still proud that I, that I tried and really proud that our legal challenge continues, but it was really hard to like, it, it, it it's, it was so out of my hands and it was such, an attack, right? It, it was such an issue of, of, of justice. Um,
1: clearly, I'm not over it. You can tell me. I, I get so worked up about it. Well, how can you be over it? Because yeah, it is absolutely yeah. 100% wrong what, yeah. what they did. Yeah. That yeah. was like Banana Republic kind of thing. Absolutely. Crazy. Absolutely. So if I can backtrack a little bit, uh, let's talk Twitter. And what's so weird about the timing that you and I are speaking is that I, I'm not sure if you're refreshing Twitter as we speak to find out who the next president of the United States is going to be. The election was a couple of days ago, and there hasn't yet been a decision made. And I am so curious to get your take on the role of Twitter in our society today, because you were behind the scenes for several years and you saw the, the inner workings. What is your take on Twitter these days?
2: Yeah, so I, I love Twitter and similar to working at much music. It was one of those dream jobs where, oh, I love I, I love this platform. And I also I also know the problems, right? Like I ran for office and used Twitter, you know, as, as part of the campaign strategy. So uh, I know what uh, what women deal with. And I know that there is even more hate and abuse for racialized folks, for queer and trans folks, uh, for religious minorities, uh, etc. Uh, So coming into Twitter, I was really excited because I have seen how Twitter can change the world from Iran to the Arab Spring to Idle No More to Black Lives Matter. But on the flip side, how it can be used in very dangerous ways. And one of my biggest takeaways, and, and I think what Twitter and the other social media platforms are struggling with, is moving from reactive to proactive because their platforms are being used in ways that they weren't intended to. Uh, and as a result, they've been trying to update their policies, right? And uh, working with AI is, is make it a, a better experience for, for all. And uh, something that should be supporting democracy, right? And, and, and not being a threat to it. And even like right now with, with the US election, you will see that there are, are, are notes on certain tweets from Donald Trump. That's very new. That wasn't something they were looking to do when I was at Twitter in 2016 when he got well, elected. Well, some
1: people are saying that it's taken too long for them to do that.
2: Of course, some people are saying it's taking too long, but then look what he does. So he sees that his tweets are being flagged. So then he goes and does a TV press conference and then takes the video of the press conference and puts it on Twitter. Right, so th- this is very much like Marshall McLuhan, you know, the media is the message, like how he is. And Trump is excellent at Twitter. Trump is excellent at TV, right? This is, this is his background, right? Apprentice, celebrity apprentice, like he actually is really good at messaging. I don't like what he's saying. This is not an endorsement of Trump. Um, so uh, I, th- I think that that's, the, that's the piece with, with Twitter is that there are a lot of people who, who leave Twitter uh, because of the hate and the abuse and these are the voices that we need to see on Twitter, right? Yeah, um, and, and that's that that's the part like ultimately why I have so much love for, for Twitter is we've seen so much incredible activism and stories uh, and, and, and reporting come from from Twitter that would have been ignored and has been ignored by mainstream media, right? And so, for
1: me, it's community. It's it's built my community of moms for my both my business and my personal life. I, I It has absolutely changed my life. So when you landed that job, I was super jealous, but I didn't go to Harvard, so they wouldn't have picked me to do that job anyway. I love that we got to work
2: together while I was at Twitter. And absolutely on the community, I mean, you have done such an incredible job at, you know, bringing moms together and think of COVID. Like I live on my own. So social media, that, that's, that's my, those are my friends, right? That, that's the community. And I remember you once sharing a, a story on a panel at Twitter about how someone it's like, oh, I'm concerned about the mental health of someone, you know, and they were able to, to get a, a check in, like a wellness check, right? Well, yeah,
1: I remember that. Mm-hmm. And, and
2: like, it's like, wow, that's like a great example of someone signaling for help in the community being like, we hear you, we see you. and and we're gonna help you. So I I think there's so much more the platforms can be doing and I'm glad to see some of the progress that has been made since uh, I left Twitter.
1: I have two more questions for you. The first one is you scored another incredible job where you're now the executive director of the Walrus Magazine, which is one of the most thought provoking publications in Canada. Um, Why are you the right person for that job?
2: So I'm so honored, and especially after everything that happened with City Council and Bill 5, it feels, you know, great to find this role uh, that I think, you know, when I was hired at uh, both sides, right, both the, the, the hiring committee, and, and I felt like I have this nonlinear resume, right, I've done a lot of different things. And there are definitely a lot of places and a lot of roles where it's like, oh, like, we need someone, right, with X amount of experience in this one field, uh, but to be the executive director of, uh, we actually have a nonprofit model, right? So it's, it's journalism, but it's also events. We have the Walrus lab that does client services. They needed someone who had some media experience, but also understood policy had done some fundraising had done some partnership work. So I, I think like, that's why uh, it's such a great fit is I can take my experience from so many, you know, different sectors uh, and also like a very large and diverse network of people that I've worked with and tap it into the Walrus, which um, is, is the same thing, right? This is uh, an organization, community that connects across Canada and, and we're looking to grow it. So I'm very I'm very thankful. I mean, COVID's not an easy year to start a new leadership role, but at the same time, you know, we, we joke like, hey, I come with a background in live streaming from from Twitter and very comfortable in in, in this Zoom space. So, So maybe it's the perfect timing, right?
1: Okay, you have been asked what it takes to succeed. And you always say, hard work, hard work, hard work, which is almost, I think, that I take that for granted in a way. What else, Jen, what else do we need in order to succeed? Or do you need? In order to succeed, there's got to be more than just hard work. So, live your beliefs. That that is has always served me
2: well, and uh, I know that it can be hard for 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 people to to show up as their authentic selves, right? And it's definitely easier, you know, for me as as a white woman with the success that I've had to just show up, right, and and live my truth. Uh, but I. I also have seen the people, you know, around me who've done incredible things is, it's them, right? It's, 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 it's them and it's them standing up for and advocating for, for what they believe. So absolutely like work hard, you know, like stay in touch. It's all about relationships, but live your beliefs. Cause at the end of the day, like, isn't that what it's about? Like, what did you stand up for? You know, what do you believe in? And I think if you, you live that people notice, right? People, people really appreciate it.
1: And the last question. I have been asked who is going to interview me for this series. And so I thought it'd be fun for everybody to interview me. So I'm going to grant you one question, Jen, that you would like to ask me. I love it, it's a bit of a genie wish. I'm going music fan here. When I was growing up,
2: my favorite band, and still my favorite band of all time, New Kids on the Block. What? I was supposed to marry Donnie Wahlberg. So I watched all your interviews, and you had some pretty epic interviews with the new kids and with Donnie, especially. So I would just love to know, like at the height of like New Kids on the Block being one of the biggest bands in the world, like what was that like interviewing them, but especially Donnie?
1: Hey, you are killing me with this question. This was the exact opposite type of question that I expected from you. And also, I am so shocked that you Miss Alternative Punker with the Beastie Boys are such a big fan of New Kids on the Block. So if I can be very honest with you, I couldn't have given a crap about New Kids on the Block. They meant absolutely nothing to me. I was not a big fan of boy bands. I thought that they were stupid. And I know that um, I'm probably gonna get now hate mail from uh, you know, all the people back then, but that was not, they were just not my thing. I didn't like their music. It was too poppy for me. I was like a punk rocker. I was into new wave and alternative music. And like U2 was my go-to band. So when they came in, it was awesome because I liked interviewing the, the big, you know, t- it's always great to get the big, most popular bands because, you know, it's everybody, you know, watches and there's a lot of buzz and excitement and they were incredibly nice and really so much fun. And I remember, I think it was Donnie who came and s- sat on my lap and like- He wanted, was very flirtatious with you. He very. was very flir- flirtatious and that was fun, but it, as you know, that stuff isn't real. They were just great performers. I was really good in the live situations where they couldn't throw me, you know. Like they, they knew that I was, you know, I could handle the the chaos and the craziness. So the interviews were fun because I guess there was this playful flirtation, and that is very much, uh, Jen. You mentioned about in our interview. You mentioned a, a lot about how uh, a lot of the viewers pictured themselves in my role. So. There was this uh, mix of every girl in the country hating me and wanting to be me, but also loving me because I asked the questions that they wanted to hear. Uh, they weren't these sort of academic questions. They were more you know, questions that everybody at, who was into bands, like I'm still shocked it would be you, um, wanted to hear. So, hey, listen, listen, they got me to pop a of me, right? Like, it,
2: it, it's there is something about boy bands that you can just like fall in love with and escape, right? Like, it's they're cute, they sing and they dance and they point to you and say that they love you. I mean, what more can you want as a tween?
1: <laughs> that is so hilarious. Thank you so much, Jen. You are, um, you are deep and playful at the same time, uh, serious and um, silly. And that's, to me, uh, what makes an interesting person. And it's that sort of friction and dynamic, I think, that has served you so well in all the different roles you've played, where you can bring um, a sense of authority, but also not take yourself too seriously. Uh, You sort of go low and go high at the same time. And I think that, to me, is a really exciting um, uh, definition of success. Uh, So thank you so much for your time and for anybody who is interested in um, being a part of the show, I've set up a phone line where you can call me and have your voice heard sort of like, you know, what we did on Much Music Jen, where uh, you get to be a part of the show. So the number is 833-972-7272. You can call in, you leave me a voice message, you can uh, comment on the show, comment on the series of this, you know, uh, reinvention of the VJ show. Tell me what you're liking or what you don't like. I'll play your comment on one of the upcoming episodes if you there's somebody who you really adore from much music who hasn't yet been interviewed Tell me who it is and I'll get them on the show. I want to thank again, um, Jennifer so much for being on the show. Oh, I forgot to tell you, if you don't want to call in, listen, I get it. You can also find me on social media. I'm on Twitter (laughs) all the time. Uh, also LinkedIn or Instagram or Facebook, you could find me and you could leave a message. And, uh, with a question or a comment about the show, which would be really great. And I'll read it out on the show as well. Jen, I know you have so much else to do today. I know you have other uh, meetings. And for those of you who are still listening, thank you so much for being a part of this show. I'll see you next week with another episode of Reinvention of the VJ. Here's to living a life filled with music, meaning, and many reinventions.
0: Thanks for listening. Follow Erica M's Reinvention of the VJ podcast. Subscribe and follow more episodes. Click to reinventionofthevj.com. Podcast produced in collaboration with Steve Anthony Productions. Editing and coordination of Flalo Communications, Inc. Copyright 2020. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast. Come
2: on a journey like no other